Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the wisest counsel and most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And have you ever wondered how an extremely talented artistic soul can rise from the highly competitive ranks of the starving artist class into those who are thriving and feeding their bodies, bank accounts, and their artistic souls in one continuous career? And have you ever wondered what it takes beyond raw talent to get noticed in the overcrowded field of art? Well, this very day, you are going to meet artist Trudy Bornstein Sugeora. I'm sorry. Sugeora, an incredibly diverse, talented, artistic master. And she has designed and created custom jewelry for the top clients of Cartier and David Yerman. Her works are featured in the Smithsonian. And in addition, she has broken the mold of just goldsmithing and gems and moved on into developing a unique model of personal portraiture. And it, it's so original, it's so amazing. I, I'm really just going to have to let Judy explain it to you. So follow us today as we take you on Trudy's trip from the cramped loft into the realm of being justifiably a sought-after and recognized artist. And whether you're intrigued by the business of the art world or just exactly how much sweat and solder go into making the finest jewelry, pull up your chair and join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined, to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. Trudy, I'm so glad you can emerge from your studio to hold to light the many facets of the art world for us. Well, I'm delighted to speak with you today, Bart. Oh, well, it's good good to have you here. Trudy, let's just jump right into the middle of your far-flinging career here, where you are you're creating custom jewelry at Cartier. So uh, an Australian sailor walks into Cartier, spins to you this yarn about some marvelous opal that he has just pulled out of his mind and how nice it would look with a proper jewelry setting on his daughter. Take it away. Could you share with us this all-in-a-custom designer's day at work tale with us? Sure. Well, this was during the America's Cup when the U.S. and Australia were going head-in-head, and an Australian man walked into Cartier and uh, started to tell me about his opal, and every Australian seems to have an opal story, so I was very (laughs) polite. And the next day he came back in and showed me his opal that he had mined himself, and it was the size of a small robin's egg and absolutely stunning. Oh, oh my goodness. Wow. And so did you make it? We created a beautiful pendant for his daughter. Of course, it had to be shipped to Australia. The race was over by the time it was finished, but, yes, it was oh. absolutely stunning. How did he do? <laughs> He won in the race. <laughs> oh well, there you go. He won by the way. There is there there is a bird, and I just it just slips my mind. There is, as I understand it, a bird that you that uses opals and brings them around in their nest, and and a lot of opal hunters go after that bird and look at the nest. Do you recall the name of that? Oh, I don't. But considering that I use a lot of birds in my collage work, that's one that I should oh. be looking for. Huh? <laughs> 
Okay. Well, see, we're both that sends us both back to the to looking up things in the in the uh, encyclopedia for those of us uh, who don't know how to operate things online. Trudy, uh, now sort of jumping back to the beginning, uh, you took uh, your fine art studies uh, actually at, at two uh, different schools, specializing in metalwork or metallurgy and photography. I'm curious what what drew you into these two areas? I mean, was it sort of an artistic passion or a career plan or maybe a little bit of both? Well, I always knew I wanted to be an artist, and I went to college during my high school, four years of high school, on the weekends to art school and studied a variety mm-hmm. of uh, different mediums. But then a little mm-hmm. twist of fate occurred, and um, when I graduated high school, I took off for Europe, and uh, oh. I shared a place in college, but uh-huh. the paperwork came while I was away. And although I had anticipated studying textile design, my mother uh-huh. was afraid I wouldn't go to school if the paperwork wasn't filled out. So she filled it out for me, and I had um, <laughs> <laughs> talked my way into the metal shop when I was in high school, which uh-huh. girls were not allowed into in those you know, oh, prehistoric days. <laughs> and um, made jewelry instead of car parts. And so she assumed that's what I wanted to study and marked that. <laughs> and I went to the first class, and there was a, an, an enormously engaging and charismatic professor who was the head of the department named Olaf Skugfers, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. So let it never be said that your parents do not direct your careers in ways seen and unseen. <laughs> I love it. And and look how well it turned out. My goodness, you, you could have been grinding out Bill Blast sheets or something like that. Um, well, actually, in terms of jewelry, uh, what exactly does the study of goldsmithing and meddling metallurgy entail. What are some of the skills that a young artist might learn and and want to hone? Well, there's lots of technical training, um, and that's, of course, mixed with creativity. So you've got to learn how to use your materials, and then the materials start to dictate the form of your pieces. And then when you're a little um, more fluent and um, better able to control the, the technique, then the concept dictates what materials you'll use, if, if that all makes sense to you. <laughs> Actually, um, it does. Um, I'm, I'm very curious about one of the because I know that uh, art is, of course, the, the marvelous blend of uh, technique uh, and the creative uh, and the creative mind of the uh, the individual. That is, the technique is the recipe, is the science, and um, that art is that individuality which only you have. And um, you can give everybody a brush, but only Vincent can paint a Van Gogh. So, as with any art, there's there is this intangible beyond the technique. And uh, what kind of to, to be a, a jewelry creator and designer? What kind of artistic eye, I guess, for want of a better term, is is required? Well, I think that you have to appreciate the materials that you're using. You have to respect Mm -hmm. the tools, and um, those tools include 
your hands and your eyes and your shoulders as well as in metalsmithing. There's lots and lots of um, real tools, hand tools that you use. And um, moreover, more observation is the biggest key. Hmm. You've got to learn to to see things, to see beyond things, to try to interpret what your um, what your hands and minds can do with the materials to to portray whatever concept you're looking for or or end that you're looking for, whether it's a beautiful design or a, a statement, whatever it is. Um, so you've got to incorporate everything, your mind and your body. Hmm. Excellently put. Uh, it, it always uh, impressed me that of the blessed 12, the, the 12 Greek gods, that... Uh, one of the gods was the uh, Hephaestus was the the god of the forge and metalworking, and that in itself was considered so mystical and wonderful that it had a deity all its own. I, I love that. If you have just joined us, you're listening to the Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday, two p.m. Eastern Time, floats seamless wisdom across the mightily misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download. This and all our episodes by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And as an added avenue, you may also enjoy us on C-Suite Radio Station. We're proud members of C-Suite Radio, where businesses' proven masters fill your fertile brain with aha moments, so they say. Well, but just visit all our Art of the CEO episodes on c-suiteradio.com. Now, Trudy, uh, I'd like to just... (laughs) I'd like to do a little myth busting, if if we may, uh, and and in in the form of a, a story. Uh, so here is at this point Trudy Bornstein, unmarried, talented jewelry designer and repair and art student, sharing this this cramped Philadelphia loft with a fellow artist, and you've got this one room digs that has your metal shop, bed area, and all your other living space, and in walks this obviously wealthy client who eyes your situation with romantic blinders, and could you tell us what she said? Yes, I will never forget it. <laughs> She has jewelry to be repaired, and uh, in my unair conditioned loft in the middle of summer, uh, with my metal shop in my bedroom, I sat down to use my torch and solder the piece together, and there's sweat pouring down my forehead. And this client plopped on my bed and said, I love it here. It's so romantic. I would love to be an artist. I would trade places with you in a minute. And I stopped. <laughs> I stood up from my bench. I walked over to her and I said, "Hand me your keys." Said, I love it. I said, "Hand me your keys. I'll trade places with you." <laughs> in a heartbeat. Uh, oh. What she did instead, actually, which was better for both of us, I think, was I finished. Uh-huh. For her and she bought me an air conditioner for my loft. So we all, oh. we all. <laughs> a woman who, a woman who knows her place and how to better yours, obviously. So <laughs> that's great. What a marvelous story. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, uh you uh, after you did uh, fight your way out of art school and and uh, and and. Repair, doing such repair jobs and so forth. You joined Cartier first, and then David Yerman, uh, and you did 
both management and custom jewelry design. And I, I, I would assume that most of the, the profit, most of the effort in both Cartier and, and David Dearman comes from their sort of general production lines, the things that go into all the stores. But you were doing something, you were doing customized commission-based service for the for very specific pieces for, for individuals one at a time. I'm sure it was very artistically rewarding, but uh, is, is this a substantial part of the Cartier and Yerman um, line? Well, I would say not at all, but mm-hmm. it is what the high-end client expects of a fine house, that it can mm-hmm. produce a unique piece for them. So it really provided a needed service, I think. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, I, I, it would be the sort of thing that, as you say, you would expect uh, them to be able to do. And uh, now what sort of work did you do in in management? Uh, we'll say for, let's take one at a time, at Cartier, what, did, what sort of managerial work did you do with them? I was um, an assistant manager of service and repair for Cartier USA, which meant um, – all of the Cartier stores were under our aegis, and um, in that capacity, I also was one of three people in the store at that time who would design a personal on a personal basis. But mm-hmm. in terms of management, we had a department to run who did all of the repairs, and I got to work with just wonderful things because Cartier only repaired its own jewelry, but of course, the oh. history of Jewelry is uh, extraordinary and fascinating, and beautiful pieces would come through the department, and uh, I oh could have my hands on them to inspect them, and um, it was fantastic, really. Oh my gosh, I, it's a, it reminds me of of the marvelous line about the the young girl who has this huge diamond around her neck, and she says. Uh, this is the Johnstown diamond, and then she tickles the old man who's standing by her side, and this is the curse that goes with it. Anyway, uh, I, it, was, it was probably some of that. Uh, when you worked with with these stones, uh, and, and when you worked with with the people, it must have been a, a very uh, sort of deeply individual sort of things. I, I, I've heard you say that you viewed yourself primarily as a problem solver, which is certainly not one, what one thinks in the artistic world, but it's, uh, it's a skill that must have come in handy when you were doing this personal jewelry because you have individuals who have a very solid idea of what they want, but they know nothing about jewelry. How did you arrive at a creation when, it, when a client came in asking for something? Well, uh, I think you're exactly right. Um, I am a problem solver. I had a mathematician father, and um, I think that that's one of the things I inherited from him. I like to take all of the different factors involved in mm-hmm. in designing a piece of jewelry or whatever uh, it is that I'm working on and um, then come up with creative solutions. And so the important thing is to listen um, to know whether the client was interested in something sentimental or showy or what their um, reason for looking for a custom piece was and um, and how to make it personal. And as long as you kept those things in mind, um, you could almost always satisfy them with, with uh, a little um, 
creative ingenuity and design sense, and so I found that um, it was something that I was naturally attuned to. Hmm. Well, I, I'm just curious. Uh, obviously, every uh, Julia, as with everything else, goes through trends and so forth. What right now, is there some particular trend in jewelry that people are looking for that they wouldn't have been looking for, say, a decade ago? Well, you're right. Jewelry trends in all different ways. Um, we just went through a big trend of only white gold and platinum, and mm -hmm. yellow gold is coming back in style. Who knew? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> now there are lab-grown diamonds that um, – are really making a big hit on the market, on the millennial market especially. Um, oh. you know, there are, well, we'll see how long those trends last. They are trends, as they say, but it keeps things fresh yeah. and interesting. Uh, I, I guess, uh, I'm just curious, uh, wedding, wedding rings have been ever since Queen Victoria, uh, the, the diamond. Is that, is that changing with some of the millennials or not? Uh, I made an absolutely stunning four-carat peach sapphire engagement ring um, for a young couple <laughs> a year or so ago. Um, but in general, diamonds are forever. <laughs> right, yes. Diamonds are still very, very yes. I think it was Zaza Gabor said, who said, I've never hated a man so much that I would return his diamonds. Uh <laughs> Trudy, if uh, if if I uh, wanted to have you create a, a stunning custom piece of jewelry for my bride, say for our 25th wedding anniversary, uh, how how would I go about getting in touch with you and, and talking to you about um, doing a custom piece? Actually, email is the best way to start. Um, I don't make it so easy to find me. My name is very hard to to remember, but. Um, Hopefully there'll be a, a link at the on the website of this uh, broadcast, and so um, there people who don't know me can find me in that way. I have a, a website, and I um, do have an email address that's the easiest. Right, and could you give, just give us the email address? It's tbsstudio at aol dot com. Very simple, tbsstudio at aol.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Trudy continues to bind the enrichment of uh, uh, and the business of art into a forging, fulfilling career right after you and I take this brief sorbet from today's Feast of Wisdom. And uh, as uh, you will allow me to offer you a few utensils for this day's feast, and first utensil, as I always do, um, May I remind you that the good Lord has gifted you and all of those hearing my voice with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, may I ask, will this be the day that you celebrate just one of your recent victories and take note of those assets that you've employed to achieve it? Or will you continue to keep squinting at your flaws and failings, putting your new powers on really the wrong part of the barricade. The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Whips book. And this one, let me thumb through right here. Okay, this is number 39. Uh, an entrepreneur 
is someone who is more worried about missing out on the excitement of an opportunity than she is worried about failing at it. So what do you think, Trudy? Do you th- Trudy, do you think that, that too many artists are really frightened off from moving to another medium because they're scared of the technique and uh, their ability to uh, to grow in it? I think that all artists know that it's about change. It's not necessarily mm. change mediums, but uh, change is essential for any artist. The chase of new ideas, the chase of new techniques, refining techniques. Um, for me, it's just a little bit more extreme. <laughs> Yes, truly, and we'll talk about that a little later. Oh, truly, hang on, because Trudy is coming up with a new medium, and you do want to hear what that is. And my own afterthought to that quip is that in the end, I think the yearning of your soul, much more than following risk assessment, is what's going to lead you to fulfillment. And if you smirked a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of the 102 or the 101 best business quips, and your nearly refined joy will share with your fellow wage slavers at work, all like Parmesan cheese on pizza to the delight of all. And as a third utensil, we sumptuously spoon to you the answer of last week's business quotation. That is the name of the individual who said, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done and his aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. (laughs) And, um, as a hint, those words were spoken by none other than uh, the Tao Te Ching author and ancient Chinese philosopher Lao Tse. Congratulations to all you winners, and stick with us, because later on in the show, Blurting Your Way, comes another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be an email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at bartsbooks.com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a mind and career-igniting gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And Trudy will continue to share her artistry and reveal her new and original uh, collage creations right after I make this introduction to you of the company by whose good graces we're here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing. And today Prometheus Publishing invites you to look at a book entitled CEO of Yourself, Getting Down to the Business of Your More Rewarding Life. So let me ask you, my friends, who's making your life choices? Are you directing the enterprise of you, or have you fallen into default mode? And is your governance bringing you that more fulfilling life? You just know lies out there. Well, CEO of Yourself helps you discover your many marvelous assets, employ them toward the goals that bring you a sense of mastery and an awful lot more fun. And, well, there's a bit of a caveat here. Uh, CEO of Yourself, my friend, is not for the lazy and it's not for weaklings. It makes you stand up and use that model of chief executing officer and to form such things as principles and forge your own character, sculpt yourself into the effective person that you want to be. So if you've got that kind of fire in your belly and desire for an exhilarating life, then go for it, my friend, and pick up your copy of CEO of Yourself. Just visit BartsBooks.com and pick up your copy. Carpe diem, my friend, you are indeed worth it. And now, with utensils in hand, uh, my friend, we return to the masterful artist, Trudy Bornstein, Sugaria 
uh, who uh, who also uh, has many many creative new flourishing realms, and that she's going to introduce to us. And Trudy, uh, I understand that you are among the elite, those elite group of artists who have worked uh, in the Smithsonian, who have their works on the Smithsonian Institute. This is a forever and always. Uh, could you tell us how that came about and and what uh, pieces are in there? Well, um, another funny story, actually. Um, I left David Yerman when I married my husband, who is Japanese, and um, I had a group studio in Manhattan at the time with a lot of other artists, and uh, I was pregnant um, with our first child, and I did a little drawing of a chopstick. I entitled it East Meets West, and it was a traditional... Corinthian column that came down to be a, a chopstick bottom and um, ah. showed it to a few friends and didn't think about the drawing for a couple of years until an international competition called East Meets West in Design um, sent out a call for entries. And so I entered the drawing in it, and it won um, an honorable uh, mention in its category of decorative arts, and they asked me if I would... <laughs> represent it with a real piece since this would be a traveling international show and so oh I had goodness. to make these chopsticks <laughs> and <laughs> it was quite an ordeal <laughs> but the upshot of that is that um, they ended up being seen by the um, the curator head of decorative arts at the Cooper Hewitt which is the design museum of the Smithsonian and uh, he right. asked uh-huh. um, if I wouldn't mind if they acquired them for the museum. And um, that was really <laughs> very serendipitous and such a wonderful, wonderful thing. So they are still in the, in the permanent collection. They were on exhibit for about nine months and um, oh, will rotate in if there is a uh, related show, but otherwise are there in their permanent collection. Oh, that's wonderful! I think that's great. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's amazing how the pieces of art. It's not the one that you labored and labored and labored over, but it's something that that just gushed out of the heart and um, and had the talent already behind it, and it worked very well. I think that's grand. Uh, now, Trudy, you you trained in, as we say, the uh, metal and goldsmithing, and you soared really to notable heights in that medium uh and yet when i first when i first encountered you uh you you were you working on something entirely a different medium and it's sort of an original collage portraiture medium now i i know that even uh our what we our ultimate painter rembrandt shifted into the new lithographic medium and became a leader in it and so i guess i'm i'm wondering would you say that this sort of challenging flexibility is a necessary survival skill for today's artists? Um, Well, as I said, change is absolutely essential for any artist, but not necessarily medium. However, I always did collage work, even when I was um, doing metalsmithing work originally. So I think that way. I think very two-dimensionally, very graphically, and um, I like So this was um, not as strange a change as it might look from the the outside. (laughs) Conceptually, Mm -hmm. it's 
<laughs> well, now you, uh, as as I understand it, you uh, gener- generated this this new artistic portraiture uh, in in which you gather and employ original source documents as sort of the building blocks for the portrait. And uh, you, you you do it enchantingly, by the way. But it's it's and it's it's a marvelous idea. And you said it. I believe you said it came uh, to you first when you were trying to depict your father, who was a mathematician. Yes, I inherited all of his papers from his long 97-year life. And, um, oh, goodness. He never met a piece of paper or a brochure that he didn't hold on to and use to solve math problems <laughs> on. But, uh, but they were beautiful papers, and I wanted to pay tribute to... Um, his vast store of papers and um, use them in creating uh, a tribute to him. And so I decided to use them to actually cut the original pieces of paper into a collage portrait of him as a young math teacher. And that was the first one. And I worked obsessively on it. And once it was finished, I realized that I was onto something. <laughs> Well, it's it's been well received. Uh, I understand. I understand that uh, your your studio is in Princeton, New Jersey, and there and the Nassau Presbyterian Church has has taken taken you on as artist in res, residence, and you're doing a project there. Could you tell us about that? Um, yes, actually, I was having a show at the uh, Princeton Public Library, and members of the Nassau Presbyterian Church um, approached me and um, said I was recommended to them to possibly uh, take part in their art residency program um, to have a project that I would work with their 1,000-plus member um, congregation in um, making something, a communal project. And I have not only done portraits, but also a series of birds Anytime that I travel, I do a bird print as a travelogue. I have also done um, extinct birds and worked with maps and um, documents related to them. So I thought it would be a lovely experience to do a very large six-foot-by-four-foot dove with the entire congregation, and we've begun working on that. (laughs) It will be uh, continuing until May. Well, it's wonderful. Now, you have uh, you also have done several individual uh, commissions based on this. And uh, could you give us an example? Uh, just give us an example of one individual and the type of documents that you have collected and, and how you put them together. Maybe even uh, you, I know you did one of your own son, but but just one that was, was to give us an idea of how the documents fit into the collage. One of the uh, really most engaging commissions I had was for a pastor who was uh, the father of a friend of mine, but he was a pastor in Bend, Oregon. I never met him, but when he passed away, his family commissioned me to do a portrait of him, and all that I knew about him was that he was uh, a pastor in his 80s from Bend, Oregon, but once they sent the documents, I soon learned that he had a marvelous backstory, and in the 1970s, he was a missionary in Taiwan, um, uh-huh. but he was also um, 
a human rights activist, and he was helping to smuggle Chinese uh, dissidents out of communist China and was caught, oh thrown yeah. in prison, and um, oh. actually Richard Nixon got him out of prison, and he wow. wrote a book about it. And um, one of the photographs that they sent me of him was a picture of him as a young missionary. So I chose that picture of him to uh, make the portrait so that I could put the documents of his entire life in his face as a young missionary and show how his story developed from there. And it's it's very, very powerful, and um, every family member wanted a copy. It was really quite a lovely piece and a real tribute to him. But that's that's how the process works. I look at the materials, um, look at pictures, or take a picture myself of uh, the subject and try to tell the story. I I'm curious. It's rather than having just a face or a uh, a collarbone of headshot uh, displayed. You you're you're bringing the actual writings and work of these people into the collage. And uh, what neglected part of the individual do you find is, is getting revealed in in these portraits here that, that might be missed otherwise? Well, everyone has so many stories in their life, and they're really hmm. hidden beneath the surface um, that form the, the whole of their life. And so... For me, it's important to to show that everyone is made up of so many parts and there's so many interests and so many um, important things to them. Um, these these portraits reveal a lot about the the subjects, and um, it's it's almost like gestalt. the The whole is more more than the sum of its parts once it, it comes yeah. together to form their picture. Which is true of all of us, and I think sometimes we don't believe that. We tend to box ourselves into categories and skill sets, and I think that there sometimes we miss uh, the beautiful forest and the beautiful whole of ourselves, and we don't see it. Um, there is an, one of the things you, you mentioned earlier before is that when you you left uh, the New York scene and you, you came down here, you opened up your own studio. At a TBS studio, and and uh, what I'm, uh, I, I just want to ask you as a, as a final thought, do you, uh, a lot of artists want to do this, uh, but it's it's a bold step because you never know when commissions are coming and so forth. So, do you have uh, any tips for the artist who's seeking to take this entrepreneurial plunge? Uh, any some disciplines to develop or blunders to avoid? Well, I'd say you need a sturdy constitution, number one. <laughs> but <laughs> you should also be fearless. You know, remember to do what interests you, because that will be what keeps you engaged in the hard times. And um, yeah. and really be true to yourself. Be true to what you think, what you want to do. That's what interests people. It's It's more interesting to go that path than to try to please uh, a client, and often you get lost that way. But if you have your own sort of insight and um, way of seeing, that's what's that's what's engaging, and that's what will keep you motivated. 
Oh, I think that's so true. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Particularly for the artist, you really have to, if you do remain true to that mission, people see it, and that in itself holds a great allure and attraction. It's, it's, so I, I appreciate you very much bringing that up. And um, <clears throat> also, again, if uh, I wanted to, you're still doing custom jewelry as well as uh, the uh, art commissions, and you have some other. Uh, you've you've been a tennis coach. You have another trade that you do on the side. Could you mention what that what that is about helping uh, helping students get placed? Yes, actually, I am um, an educational consultant for international corporate families who move around the world, and mm-hmm. I help them find uh, schools for their children. I advise them of the difference between their home country school systems and the country they're going to, although most of the work I do is for foreign nationals coming into the United States, but not exclusively. And um, it has been uh, using all the other side of my brain. (laughs) And (laughs) it's still problem solving. It's exactly the same thing, I think. And it's it's so rewarding when you can find the right... Yeah, yeah, when you do to because of it's a great anxiety for the parent who is uprooting and there's the feeling of oh I'm being selfish to to follow my career and am I going to sacrifice my children and you step in and, and take care of that that must be a wonderful wonderfully rewarding feeling for you isn't it? It is. It is. It's again it's the same thing it's finding the right fit. Um and once you find that uh, it works. <laughs> oh. Well, maybe we're, we're maybe we'll, I think we're just going to have to have you back on to tell about that uh, on another show. We're we're unfortunately we can't go into that now. We're running out of time, but I would someday. Well, we'll soon we're going to have to have you back and to talk about that because that is that is a whole mission of where one educates and, and shifting from culture to culture. It's uh, that that would be an exciting show. So, uh, do you think we might be able to seduce you back on some at some later date? You know it would be a pleasure, Bart. <laughs> okay. Truly, thanks so much. This is this has been a great deal of fun, and, and uh, I've learned an awful lot of, uh, about art, and uh, I, I really thank you for coming on. Well, uh, I do appreciate it, and again, um, there will be a, a link to my website um, mm-hmm. if you look on the web the show's website. So anyone who wants to get in touch that way, I'd be happy to. Um, to speak with you and thank you again all right well thank you and uh, just as a hint i think there is a christmas sale coming up uh and to do to find out more about that again go uh go to the art of the ceo look up the site and you will be able to contact with trudy and as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation, and that is, who is the person who said, heroes need monsters to establish their heroic credentials? In fact, all of us need something scary to overcome. <laughs> uh, and as a hint to the author, this novelist, poet, and critic, and author of The Handmaid's Tale, at age six months, 
and was backpacked by her father into the Canadian wilderness. What a fabulous childhood and way to grow up. And remember, if you know the author of this quote, just write that author's name down as you believe him or her to be and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely life-changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And be sure to tune in next week to The Art of the CEO when Mr. Mel Duncan returns to The Art of the CEO to share with us his latest achievements of the, his nonviolent peace force. That's the organization which drops totally unarmed peacekeepers right into war-torn areas to protect the rapes, pillage, and slaughter of civilians. You don't want to miss this. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, if you spend a lot of time worrying about doing something that will ma- that may make you appear foolish, you're already too late. <laughs> and to you, gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the art of the CEO as much as Trudy and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this on all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, It has been a privilege, and I thank you.